Well, my name is Craig. I said, I'm one of the pastors who has the pleasure of serving here. And today is Palm Sunday. And this is the Sunday before Easter, and it begins Holy Week. And Holy Week, this is when we celebrate the day that Jesus entered Jerusalem. He was riding the donkey to fulfill the prophecies. And everyone gathered along that road, and they were crying out, Hosanna in the highest, right? They were crying this out. And what they were doing, they were laying these palm fronds out, and it was almost like a conquering king coming into Jerusalem. It's kind of, I think, where they come up with that, that saying, rolling out the red carpet. They were rolling out the red carpet for their king. They were welcoming him into Jerusalem. And Hosanna means, please save us. And Jesus' arrival in Jerusalem was a celebration But little did they know how things were going to change. Because less than a week later, we hear the cries, crucify him. They were crying out, Hosanna in the highest. And then they were crying, crucify him. And then three days later, we know what they said then, right? He is risen on that Easter morning. So as we celebrate this week, just keep Jesus in mind. And this week, may God direct your thoughts and your attentions towards what matter most, and that's Jesus Christ. So today, we're going to be in the book of Galatians. It'll be chapter 6. We're going to start with verse 1. And Paul begins this section, this last section of his letter, by giving instructions about several issues that are important to the Christian community. And he's emphasizing on the lifestyle and the type of life that we should lead. It's under a culture of grace that we live. This means that we're led and live by the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit transforms us from the inside out. And the main theme in the book of Galatians is that we are justified by faith, not by the works of the law. So we're going to be in Galatians chapter 6. I'll give you a minute to get there as we get ready to open this teaching. And I titled this teaching, if you ever look in your Bibles, you see these little subtitles before the chapters. I didn't put a lot of thought into it because I thought this was good. And it says, doing good to all, right? That just about explains it. We need to do good to all. So as we look at this chapter six, verse one, it says this, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who lives by the spirit should restore that person gently, but... Watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Now, Paul's going to make it very clear that we live under grace and that we shouldn't tolerate sin. And it's each believer's responsibility to address that sin when we see it in another believer's life. We're all part of the family of God, right? And we all allow the Holy Spirit to equip us and guide us and direct us. And Paul's saying the first principle here is to restore someone. And how do we react when someone sins? And I believe that this letter was written about believers because it says anyone or someone, and that could be the believers. But when a believer sins, what do we do? We address it. The word caught also indicates that person is probably stuck in sin. It may not just be one passing thing that's happening. In other words, this reference may not be to a deliberate sin. As far as the church community of believers go, we're far from perfect, aren't we? I know that I am, and if you don't believe me, you can ask my wife. She'll tell you. (laughs) I am far from perfect. 
You know, one of the, we're all guilty of misconduct, right? We're all guilty of doing things that are wrong and undeliberate sin. One of the ones that I have an issue with, and I'll tell you, is speaking before I think. Anybody else do that? There we go. Thank you. Not leaving me hanging out there by myself. But I'll do that a lot. But what I've learned to do is I've called it the eight-second rule, if you guys have ever heard of that. Before I respond, I wait eight seconds. Because normally I hear the Holy Spirit saying, Craig, yeah, that's not the right thing to say. That's not it. Because once we say it, we can't get it back. So I allow the Holy Spirit to do that. And so why is Paul using this illustration? I think it's very important because he uses this illustration because he's saying it's not just the leader's responsibility to do this. We all have a responsibility. If we're obeying God, we have a responsibility to do that. And the reason is, is if you see a sin problem with someone, we talk to that person directly. Why? Because sin, we take sin seriously. God takes sin seriously, and we should take it seriously as well. And it says the one who's spiritual. What does that mean? Spiritual could have a broad meaning of someone who is a believer that seeks to obey God. But here's the key to this. Spiritual does not mean perfect, okay? Just because someone's spiritual, it doesn't mean that they're perfect. And I want to make that really clear because sometimes we think, oh, he's perfect. Well, I heard it said, if you think you're perfect and you want to go join a church, don't join it because you'll ruin that one, okay? Because there's no perfect churches. There's no perfect people. The only perfect one was Jesus Christ, and a spiritual person is a person that understands the Word of God and therefore can evaluate spiritual things. They take the gospel serious as well, just like us. We should take the gospel serious, what God says, and we should make it very clear one thing. The goal of restoration is not to make someone feel bad. Not to point out their flaws, because nothing reveals the wickedness of, of a legalist better than the way the legalists treat someone who sinned, right? Like when they drag the woman in for adultery that was caught in adultery. Legalists do not need facts or proof. They only need suspicions and rumors, their self-righteous imagination will do the rest. But James tells us what we should do in James 5.19 when it comes to restoring a brother and sister. It says, my brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Amen. The goal is to restore the person to a good relationship, a right relationship with God. That's the goal of restoration. And this should be our one and guiding motivation, to see God change lives. He still does it today. He's changed each and every one of our lives, right? As we sang in that song, God's way is better. And now we're called to walk in the Spirit. Paul says that. We're not called to walk in the flesh. And Paul refers to these, the fruit of the Spirit. It's a singular fruit. And as we look at this picture, I have a picture of some fruit with the Galatians on there. It's like a cluster of grapes. In Galatians 5.22, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things there is 
no law. This is singular. And what that suggests is each one of these traits are in unity with each other. It's a cluster. They're in three categories, that love, joy, and peace. And the first is love. And we do it with love, and we also do it with a spirit of gentleness when we do that. This is a reminder when we restore someone, the attitude that we have when we're doing that. Our facial expressions, the words that we use, the kind speech, if we use kind speech. But we should have all our gestures should be kind. We should be patient and gracious with people. We should feel compassion. Why should we feel compassion? Because they're lost. What did Jesus say when he came into Jerusalem? He had compassion on them because they were lost and without a shepherd. And that's the way we should look at people as well. We don't know that. They don't know Jesus, but they're lost, and we should have compassion on them. The works of the flesh are something that we do, but the fruit of the Spirit is a result of God's work in us and through us. And each of us needs to take a look at ourselves so that we won't be tempted. Our goal is to restore people, but we need to restore them in humility and the spirit of humility. And how we do that. We need to evaluate ourselves and our attitudes to make sure that we have the right motives, not acting like a hypocrite. You know, people say, oh, I can't go to that church. There's hypocrites in there. Come on in. There's room for one more. <laughs> right? And that's the truth, right? But don't be that person that goes around enforcing rules and policies for other people and ignoring them yourself. Don't be that person. The spiritual person would seek to restore a brother and sister in love, just like our Lord and Savior Jesus did on that cross. He did that out of love, for God so loved the world that he came for each and every one of us. And why did he do it? In 1 Peter 4, 8, it says this. This is for us. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers the multitude of sins. These blessings we enjoy become the qualities of our character, the fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit living in us and guiding us. These characters grow in us, and they become visible to the world, and they flow out to people in healing and helping other people. The Holy Spirit will overflow through us into other people and flowing into their lives as well. And then in verse 2, Paul says this, carry each, each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. And what he's saying is the family should help each other. We should all help each other. What kind of burdens is he referring to? I think based on the context, what he's saying here is one way of carrying others' burdens is to gently restore them. Because it's a burden they have of sin, and we're there to carry that burden with them, to restore them to that right relationship with Christ. Beyond that, it means helping and supporting them. Temptations, or what about a difficult family situation? Anybody have one of them? Yeah. We all have families, right? And there's all these situations that go along with that. Stress, worries. What about physical a health issue, or your spiritual struggles. We're all here together to carry each other's burdens. 
And we do that by encouraging them. In 1 Thessalonians 5.11, it says this, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just in the fact as you're doing. Encouraging and inspiring your neighbors is an important part of loving yourself. We give words of encouragement to build them up, to bring them and show them the love of Christ. Providing encouragement and inspiration is doubly important for the simple reason most of the people that we meet are, are hurting in some way or another, aren't they? They're hurting, and we don't want to add to that hurt. We want to encourage them and build them up. And the most important thing about that is, is when people are hurting, we want them to turn to Christ first. We don't want them to turn to the world. We want them to turn to Christ and the church because when they turn to the world, what happens? Addictions and strongholds. But Jesus can break those addictions. He can break those strongholds. And he uses us to do that. And Paul was a realist about the church, right? He knew that his brothers and sisters in Christ would slip up and they would be guilty of doing the wrong things. Let me tell you, church, the church is a hospital. And this hospital is for the sick and the broken, the sinners that come in here. And our responsibility is to bind them up, to help them heal, to help them grow closer to Christ. We're an agent of healing, forgiveness, and restoration, working together for one simple fact, and that's God's glory. It's for his glory, not ours. Years ago, we, uh, it was a long time ago, we had a piano, and we were trying to move it. And I got my boys, and I'm like, hey, guys, can you come help me move this? I'm thinking about two, three guys, we can move a piano, right? Look at that, two, three, no. So we tried. We could not do it. It just wasn't happening. So I got a couple friends came over, and uh, we tried to move it. We still couldn't do it. So finally we got neighbors. There was about six or seven of us, and we finally did move it because it was a little bit easier. When we as Christ followers share in carrying the burden or that heavy load with other Christ followers, it always comes easier for us to handle, doesn't it? We don't do life alone. We do it with each other. And I want to ask you a question. Do you know someone that needs help? Spiritual help, a physical help. Are you reaching out to them? Humbly reach out to them in the spirit of love. And Jesus said this. Why would we do that? Jesus said this. He said very simply in John 15 or John 13, 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another, because it all starts with love. It all starts with love. And the point to carrying another one's burden is, for one, we have to know it exists. We have to know that there's a burden. And what I mean with that is we have to be involved in people's lives, right? We have to be relational with them. We have to be able to know what our brothers and sisters are going through. This means that we do more than just going to church on Sundays and then going back to our daily routines or staying in our own little holy huddle. We don't do that. We're involved in people's lives. And I've also thought about one of the best ways that we can, that, to help people, it's often neglected, is very simply listening. Do you guys know that? Listening is so important. Listening to others with an attentive, compassionate ear to help them release that load 
that they're bearing. You know, years ago, I learned this principle, and my wife helped me learn that. Because as a guy, right, guys, I'm going to say, we, we try to fix stuff, right? Isn't that what we do? So when she'd come to me and say, hey, I got someone, oh, I can tell you how to fix that. Let me tell you, hold on. This is how, she didn't care one bit about that. What she wanted is me just to listen to her. That was it. To have a compassionate ear to listen to her. She didn't need me to fix anything. What she needed me was to listen. And so many times we don't get that. But we need to do that. Besides listening, we can pray, we can counsel, and we can serve others. But we have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit opens that door for us, what do we do? Do we just stand there or do we kick it in? Do we walk through that and be sensitive to the Holy Spirit as he allows us to do that? Reminding them that Christ's yoke is easy. The fulfillment of the law of Christ, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. Remember in the Good Samaritan, the Pharisee asked them, said, well, who is my neighbor? That was the wrong question. It's not who is, your ne- who is my neighbor. The question is, am I a good neighbor? Am I a good neighbor? Do I listen? Do I look at the needs of my neighbor's? Do we notice when others are in stress or distressed in their daily lives? You know, last week, I came in. I get here about 7.30 on Sundays, and I came in, and there was a gentleman that was sitting in the sanctuary, and he was here before I got here. And Albert came up to me as our security, and he goes, Craig, I've already checked him out. He's not packing. You're safe. (laughs) Thank you very much. I appreciate that. So I came in. I sat down, and what did I do? I just listened to him. He said he wasn't at peace with things, that he had issues that were going on, and he just wanted to talk. And I listened to him, and then I prayed. And then I thanked God that he turned to the church and to Jesus before he turned to the world. And we need to do that as well. We have to make sure that we do that because so often all a person needs is that sensitive, loving ear and a caring friend. Now, Paul urges his readers to look at themselves and their motives. In verse 3, it says this, If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. There is always a need for self-examination and self-understanding, isn't there? I believe what this verse is talking about is these people, these Pharisees that were pridefully looking at themselves because they were fulfilling the requirements of the law when it came to circumcision. And Paul was doing this, wasn't he? In Philippians, Paul was saying, I'm the Pharisee of Pharisees, right? I'm doing all these things. He was fulfilling those laws before he came to Christ as well. And every person that God has created has inherent value to him. But spiritually, we have nothing, there's nothing that we can offer our Lord except to receive him in his grace in our lives, the forgiveness that he gives us. And now, Paul will urge them to look at their own capabilities. And it says this in verse 4, each one should, t- should test their own actions. They should take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. Test your own actions. 
Now, obviously, we know we can't earn salvation, but we shouldn't go around telling other people how good we are and the great things that we've done for God because we've done great things, right? The main point, I think, what he's saying here is evaluate properly the service that you've done for God and not taking credit for what other people do. We don't take credit for what other people do. God gives us the giftings and we take credit for what we do for God and through God. Jesus told his disciples this. He said that in John 4, 38, he says this, I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor The disciples should look at what they did for God in an accurate way and appropriately appreciate what other people do for the service to our Lord. Each person has a responsibility to God. It's not someone else's responsibility. We're not responsible for what other people do. We're responsible for what we do. We're not responsible for that person's actions. And most of all, we're not responsible for how that person treats us. But what we are responsible for is we're accountable for how we respond to them. Do we respond in the flesh or do we respond in the spirit? We're accountable for that. And it says not by comparison because we're not called to compare someone. Because when we get into this comparison thing, we can become arrogant because we think we're doing better than someone else. Or on the other hand, we can become discouraged because we're not doing as well as someone else is doing. When you do your very best, you feel good about it, don't you? Because we're not here to please man, we're here to please God. And we work for God. There's no need to compare ourselves with anybody else. Does anybody do that? I'm trying not to put my hand up, but I do do it. We all do it. We compare ourselves. But that's living by the flesh. Living by the flesh is by competition and comparisons. And sometimes we can try to look good by making others look bad. Have you ever seen that? It happens all around us, doesn't it? In the corporate world, I'm going to climb over somebody's back to get to the top by making them look bad. Some like to point out other people's faults so they can feel better about themselves. And others like that reassurance that they're doing well. But I want to encourage you this. When you're tempted to compare yourself, compare yourself to Jesus. Compare yourself to Jesus. His example will inspire you to do your very best. And his loving acceptance will comfort you when you fall short of those expectations. And we all fall short, don't we? God's word says we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Each and every one of us. But God loves us even when we fall short. Even on our worst day, God still loves us. And he's proven that so many times to us. When we look at the cross and we see Jesus Christ, he loves us so much. So don't be prideful. Don't put your trust in the things that you do. Put your trust in Jesus Christ, in Christ alone. And then in verse 5, it says this. For each one should carry their own load. Just because others are supposed to help us carry our burdens doesn't mean that we shouldn't carry our own load. 
The Word tells us this in Ephesians 2.10. It says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God prepared work for us in advance. We're not to offload these responsibilities to others. We see it all the time. But God has given each one of us specific things to do, which he wants us to do. That is our load, what we do. Our load is the normal things that we should carry ourselves that no one can do for us. And when we do that, we do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. The giftings that he gives us, he will help us through God's grace and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. He'll help us get through that. You've heard it said, where God guides, he provides. And he will provide us with that. And God will provide us with the capabilities to do this. And we should do this with an attitude of humility, serving God and serving others. I've always thought about this for me, and you might want to look at this as well. That if we were to stand in front of God and look at the things that we've done, would we be spending more time building our kingdom or will we be spending more time building God's kingdom? Doing the things for the kingdom of God. It's important that we look at that. Whose kingdom are we trying to build? And it's God's kingdom. In verse 6, it says, Nevertheless, the one who receives instructions in the word should share all good things with their instructor. What he's saying here is he's saying share all these good things. Take care of the Christian leaders, the ones that are teaching you. This principle is found throughout the Bible, and it's God's model for taking care of those who spend their time and their resources in sharing the gospel, being generous. We need to learn just not to let others do things for us, and this always receiving and receiving and receiving, but we need to do things for others. We need to give. Give encouragement to those who spiritually serve you, the ones that are sharing the gospel, God's word, because that's the most valuable gift that we can get besides our salvation is the word of God and knowing God's character and who he is, being good stewards of what God has entrusted us with, And we need to realize that these spiritual principles lie in sharing with each other and our common fellowship with Christ in our faith and also in our suffering. That the givers might reap a greater blessing. The basic principle is reaping of sowing. It's biblical to tie to your local church that invests in you spiritually. When it comes to the local church, the tithes that you give go to missions. They go to outreaches, taking care of the needy, just like we did yesterday, Day of Compassion, reaching out, being the hands and feet of Christ into a community that's lost, that needs to see and hear about the love of Christ. And then over on top of that is like our expansion fund. You guys have been so generous to our expansion fund. Also, the playground. We're getting ready to redo the playground And you guys have been so generous with that, and God loves a generous giver. And now in verse 7, Paul is going to give us a warning, and it says this, Do not be deceived, because God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal 
life. And this is so important for us because this principle of reaping and sowing is evident throughout Scripture. In uh, 2 Corinthians 9, 6, it says this, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will reap generously. It would be a surprise if you planted corn and pumpkins came up, wouldn't it? But it's a natural law is that we reap what we sow. And God designed this world like that. Because if you're friendly, you'll probably have a lot of friends, right? If you help others, people will help you. If you're lazy, you're probably not going to eat, right? But you see the word if there. Because it's a choice that we have to make. And spiritually, it's true as well. Because if you repent... God will forgive you. If you keep sinning, God will punish you. And if you seek God, he will answer and reveal himself to you. And Paul says, don't be mocked. Don't be mocked. God is not to be mocked by this because God sees everything that we do. When you pursue the works of the flesh, expect God's justice. Paul was reminding his readers that relying on God's grace and trusting in him in all circumstances. But he's saying this, be careful what and where you sow your seeds. Paul sees material possessions as seeds. And there are two possible soils for that seed, the flesh and the spirit. If you want to please God, promote the things of the Spirit, which will lead to and reap a harvest of joy and everlasting life. Invest in your local church and the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And we want you to receive those blessings. We want you to sow generously so you would reap generously and receive all the joy and the blessings that come from that. In Malachi 3.10, if you're familiar with that verse, this is the only verse you'll find in the Bible where it says, test God on him. What he says is bring the full tithe into the storeroom. And when you do that, I will open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessings on you, you won't be able to store them. Amen? How awesome is that? Claim that promise. Test God on that. Reap those blessings. But the point I'm trying to make here is once we finish sowing, we cannot change the harvest. So I'm going to ask you, what kind of seeds are you sowing? And in what soil are you sowing them in? Be good stewards. Invest your resources in the kingdom of God and his gospel, the one true gospel of Jesus Christ. In verse 9, it says this, Let us not become weary of doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Sometimes it can be discouraging to continue doing the right thing, can it? You guys ever heard this, keep on keeping on, right? Or does that just show you how old I am? I don't know. But keep on, this is a great verse of encouragement for those who have been ministering for God but have never received any words of thanks and no tangible results. They haven't seen any fruit. Sometimes there's a delay between the sowing and the reaping. And one of the biggest things when it comes to that is like a, a bamboo seed. I don't know if you, any of you know about bamboo, but you can plant a bamboo seed and it takes four to five years for it to grow. And then in that fifth year, 
the sprouts just shoot up, and they can grow up to 90 feet in only five weeks after being in the ground for five years. Spiritual sowing and reaping can be like this. It may take a long time before we see the results of our actions, whether they're good or they're bad. But sooner or later, we will reap what we sow. And this verse has great encouragement for the people who have been ministering to God and have seen little results. I heard of a man in Africa that he served there for years on the mission field for years, and he saw no fruit from it at all, nothing. He got so discouraged that he came back to the States and stopped being a missionary. Well, years later, people went to Africa where he was at. There were churches playing it all around. And in those churches, they had the Bibles that he had given them. The seeds had bare fruit. And as they looked around, they saw all these believers. And sometimes we'll never see the fruit from the seeds that we've planted, from the people that you talk to at Publix or Winn-Dixie or at your workplace. You may never know that. But when you get to heaven... And you see them and you rejoice because they heard the word from you. You planted a seed. Don't grow weary of doing good. Never. Because you'll reap that harvest in due time. And you may ask, what is due time? Because we all like stuff right away, right? Instant gratification. I want it now, right? Or due time, it's God's perfect timing. God's never early and he's never late. So if there's someone that you're talking to that you're sowing a seed with, maybe your family or your friends or someone at work, I want to encourage you, keep doing it. Keep on ministering to them. Do not give up. And then in verse 10, it says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Paul's saying here that the family of believers Family comes first, doesn't it? We say in the ministries, when it comes to our families, our family is our first ministry, and they come first. It's kind of like when you're on an airplane. You've been on an airplane, they show you those oxygen masks drop down. What's the first thing you're supposed to do? You're supposed to grab your own and put it on your face so you can take care of you first so you can take care of your family. And that's what as believers we do. We take care of our families first. We take care of others. And when we do this, we keep on doing good and we trust God for the results. Just keep doing good and trust God that he'll work things out the way he wants them to work out, not the way that we want them to work out. In due time, we will reap that harvest of blessings. And then verse 11, it says, see what large letters I use to write with you with my own hand. Some Bible scholars think that the thorn in the flesh that Paul had was poor eyesight, and it possibly could have because there are different verses that indicate that when it comes to that. But Paul, what he's saying here, he's saying he's grabbing this pen or this quill from somebody because normally he used a secretary or a scribe, somebody to do that. But he's saying, this is so important and so serious. I'm going to write it myself because I want you to see this. He's saying, don't miss this. I'm putting this in my own handwriting because it's so serious. And then it says this in verse 12. 
Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. False teachers are always motivated by religious pride. They're infatuated by their appearance, and they don't, they don't want anything to happen to them. They want them to look good because they're always trying to impress people. By adopting this work-based attitude, they're trying to feel good about themselves and their spiritual worthiness, and they don't want to be persecuted for the cross. So they take the path of least resistance. They were keeping these Jewish practices and traditions. In 2 Timothy 3.12, it says this, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Didn't Jesus say, in this world you will have trouble? But take heart, I've overcome the world. And then Matthew 5.10, this is the blessing, claim this. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We must not be prideful in trying to impress other people. We only need to please God. That's it. Every believer who faithfully follows Jesus will be persecuted to some degree. Avoiding persecution is not our driving factor, and it should not be our motivation. What our motivation is is standing up for the truth, standing up for the gospel. Sometimes you'll have a target on your back, and that's okay. Don't shrink back from it, and don't compromise. Don't compromise on the word of God. Be bold, be wise, and be faithful to God's word. In verse 13, it says, Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want to be circumcised that they may boast about circumcision in the flesh. Now, these Judaizers were emphasizing circumcision as proof of their holiness, that's a proof we don't need to see, right? We don't need to see that. And they were ignoring all these other Jewish laws because people sometimes pick out certain principles as their measure of faith, picking one over the other. One sin is not as bad as the other. God sees all sin as bad. We already talked about that. But the Bible, the entire Bible is God's word. In 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good works. All Scripture is God's Word. And Paul's saying there are two different ways we can live our, leave our lives we can choose to live in bondage or we can choose to live in liberty. We can choose to live by the flesh or the Spirit, living for ourselves or living for others. The Bible is not a buffet. We are not buffet Christians. We don't get to pick and choose what we like and what we don't like. All of God's Word is useful. It's all God-breathed, every bit of them. We don't get to choose in verse 14, it says, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Jesus and the cross are central to our faith. And Paul makes it very clear there is only one gospel, 
the one true gospel, and that's Jesus Christ. And don't get away from it. Don't boast in anything except the cross. Paul made up his mind to boast in the cross and the Christ cross alone. And we should do the same. This means giving God all the glory, always. Paul boasted in his crucifixion and the risen Savior because Paul looked at the cross and Christ's glory on that cross. And he knew the person on the cross and the power of the cross. And Christ made the cross glorious to him. In verse 15, it says, Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything that counts in this new creation. Those who are circumcised did not keep the law. Well, nobody could keep the law. We know that. Nobody could do that. Jesus is the only person who ever lived that completely fulfills the law. Every one of us falls short. And sometimes it's easy to get caught up in these externals. Beware of those who emphasize actions that we should or shouldn't do with concerns, with not having concern with our inward heart condition, where our heart's at. The Bible, the Word of God, this is not meant for knowledge. It is meant for us to know who God is and His character, but the Word of God is meant for transformation. It's about how we transform and how we change our lives, looking to be more like Jesus Christ, living a good life without this inward change, without this transformation, is no life at all. It's shallow and empty. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation is come. The old is gone. The new is here. What matters to God is that we are completely changed and transformed from the inside out. Then the last two verses. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear my body the marks of Jesus. Paul will end this letter with an explanation of the gospel. Paul's been through so many different things. He's been persecuted. He's been beaten. He's been whipped. He's been stoned because of his relationship with Christ. We see his faithfulness in preaching the one true gospel of Jesus. And here at the end of this letter, he tosses one last argument out to them, and he tells them, I have suffered a lot Let no one cause me any more trouble. Stop looking to the law. Start looking to the one true gospel. There is only one way for us to be saved, and that's to have a relationship with Jesus Christ and receive him into our lives as our Lord and our Savior. Admit that we're a sinner in need of a Savior. In the last verse, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you your spirit, brothers and sisters. We can summarize Paul's message of this letter to the Galatians as very simply. There's nothing we can do to make us right with God. No rules, no religious traditions, none of that can save us. The only thing that can save us is Jesus Christ. There's only one way. If we've learned anything in this letter that Paul has given us is that our faith in Jesus Christ alone saves us when we repent and receive him in our lives and trust him for everything. Keep doing good. Spread the good news. And leave the results up to God. Don't compare yourself with anybody 
except Jesus Christ. And I want to give you an opportunity this morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ, if you've never received him into your life, and you want to live a life of grace, and you don't want to live a life in the flesh, but have the Holy Spirit come in you and work through you in a mighty way, I want to give you that opportunity. In Romans 10, 13, it says this, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God had raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. You may not know Jesus and you may be receiving for the first time or you may have backslidden. You may have just taken on the ways of the flesh and you want the spirit to come and continue to live in you and work through you. If that's you, just pray this prayer with me if we bow our heads. Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I know that I can't save myself. And I want to open the door to my heart as I hear you knocking. And I gratefully receive your gift of salvation. And I'm ready to trust you as my Lord and my Savior. Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God and you died on the cross for my sins. And I repent of those sins. And I believe that you rose on the third day. And I thank you for bearing all my sins and the gift of eternal life. I want you to come into my heart right now and receive you. And I want to follow you all the days of my life. And I thank you for being my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.